Well, a few weeks ago, Stephanie and I were, were back in Pennsylvania visiting her parents, and uh, my father-in-law invited me to play in the charity golf tournament with him. Uh, prior to that, I had never played a single game of golf, ever, <laughs> never. Uh, but he assured me we'd be playing a group, you know, you play off the best shot, there's no pressure. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. Uh, of course, I get to Pennsylvania, I don't have any gear, right? I don't even have like a polo shirt, I'm wearing a t-shirt uh, on the golf course. Um, so, so one of his friends agrees to let me borrow his set of clubs. Uh, apparently, it's, it's bad form to share, share clubs, I guess, when you're playing golf, I didn't know that. Um, and, and wouldn't you know it, the clubs that I end up with are, are really expensive clubs. Um, the, the nicest set in my group. You know, and, and that would have been really helpful if I knew how to play golf. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you that it just turns out I have a lot of natural talent. But that's not true. Not at all. I, I really stink. Um, and, you know, having the best clubs uh, in the group, I think, simply highlighted how terrible I was. Uh, you know, in, in my hand, these, these high-tech aerodynamic, fine-tuned instruments were actually pretty useless. You know, this summer, we're working through the book of Proverbs, uh, which, which reveals to us God's wisdom, right? What, what is God's wisdom? The definition that we're working with is that wisdom is the art of living well in God's world, in the world that God has made. And this morning, we're going to think particularly about wisdom and our money. You know, what does it look like to live well with the money that God has given us. Uh, this is not going to be a topical sermon on, on money just in general, but we're going to be looking particularly at what Proverbs has to say to us about money and wisdom. Because apart from God's wisdom, our money in our hands is about as useful as those golf clubs were to me in my hands. Right? Uh, Proverbs 17, 16. Of what, money, of what use is money in the hand of a fool? since he has no desire to get wisdom. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom? Now, we all want to make more money, but apart from gaining wisdom, that's like me wanting to have the, the best, most expensive golf equipment and not being interested in learning how to play golf. Uh, the only difference is that money is a lot more dangerous than any set of golf clubs. Now, what use is all the money in the world to you if you don't have the wisdom, the skill, the holiness to use it rightly, to use it for good rather than for evil? More precious than money is the wisdom that we all need for, for living life well in this world that God has made. And so we want to hear what God has to say to us this morning. So, so if you're able to open your Bibles up to Proverbs, I think a lot of you have already, we're, we're going to be moving through quite a few verses, and, and the verses are going to flash up here on the screen. Uh, you don't have to flip all over, though, though you're more than welcome to if you'd like. But as you take notes, let me encourage you, take down some of these references. And, and this week, uh, take time to meditate on what God's Word is saying. You know, as we look at the teaching of Proverbs, I, I really just want to make two points here for us. All right, two points. Money, you can't handle it. Money, you can't handle it. And then number two, wisdom, you can be truly rich. Wisdom, you can be truly rich. You know, I, I realize that as I preach this sermon, I'm preaching as a rich person to a room full of rich people. 
No, no, no matter how much money you have in the bank, just by sheer fact of, 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 the, of the truth that we live here in this country, uh, that we are wealthier than most of the rest of the world. And therefore, our perspective on money is skewed. And so what we need is for God to come and to open our eyes to the truth. Y- yes, about money, but even more about ourselves, about our own hearts. And I pray that God would do that for us this morning. So first, money, you can't handle it. Uh, the, the first thing that we see in Proverbs about money is that we have a hard time handling our money rightly. Uh, so, so many of the Proverbs reveal all the ways that we misuse our money, all right? So, so consider our struggle with greed. Proverbs 23, 4. <clears throat> Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Or 527. A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. No matter how much money you have, it's hard for us to learn to be content with what we have, isn't it? Uh, you give money to someone who's greedy, and that person is just not going to be satisfied. They're going to want more. Um, Do you struggle with a general discontent with what God has given you? And if so, what does that reveal about your heart? You know, what strikes me about these two Proverbs is is the way in which, in our greed, we sacrifice that which is more valuable in order to get that which is less valuable, money. Uh, we, We sacrifice our health. We sacrifice our families. What we see here is that greed is not a private sin. Uh, it affects those around you. Whatever trouble you get into because of your greed, you pull others into it with you. It, it makes me think of stories in my own family, of, of one of my relatives, who in a desire to get rich, he took all of his money, and he took his parents' money without them knowing, and, and poured it all into a particular investment. And, and, and that, you know how the story goes. The, the investment dried up, and they lost everything. And that was over a decade ago, but those families still continue to live with the consequences of that greed even today. Now, if we were to take the time and go around here this room, I'm sure we could all tell stories like that in which someone's greed, maybe a family member, maybe a trusted friend, maybe even your own, uh, brought, brought deception and grief into your life. And the truth is, all of us struggle with greed. Uh, which makes money really dangerous in our hands. Consider the way we can love pleasure and ease too much, right? Proverbs twenty-one seventeen. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Proverbs twenty-one twenty. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You know, in our fallen natures, we have this kind of grotesque, perverted capacity for consumption. You know, far beyond what God designed us for. This material world that God created was good, is good. The pleasures of this world are gifts given for us to enjoy to the praise of the God who made them. But somehow in our sin, we turn pleasure into these idols that we worship pursuing pleasure even to the loss of everything else. You know, Proverbs is clear. If you love pleasure too much, you're going to be poor. It doesn't have to be food or wine. Our addictions can be as varied 
as the pleasures that this world has to offer, right? From houses to vacations to clothes to parties to cars and on and on. Now, that, that's how you can read those headlines about, you know, professional athletes making more than $100 million over the course of their careers, and then the year after they retire, they declare bankruptcy. It's easy for us to say, well, we would never do that. But do you really know that? You know, what would $100 million reveal about you? What would $100,000 reveal about you? You know, I ask myself that. What would I do if I suddenly inherited uh, you know, $100,000? Well, immediately my first thoughts were about how I would, you know, use it on myself. I'm not talking about I wouldn't go out and buy a yacht, but, but I would put it in the bank. You know, I would save it up for my retirement. Maybe I'd buy a bigger car, save up for a down payment for a bigger house. No, these aren't bad things, but, but notice how my first inclinations were ultimately to spend it on myself and my family. My, my desires, my needs have this amazing ability to expand to whatever amount of money is coming in. So what about you? you know, what, what would an influx of cash reveal about you? Would it reveal a love of certain things? Would it mean that you quit working, revealing how, how lazy you can be? Would it reveal fears or, or selfishness that you didn't know that you had? We're so easily corrupted by money. But the problem here is not money itself. Money is simply a tool uh, that makes our transactions easier. Now, Proverbs is clear that the problem is the folly of our hearts. It's the fool who brings ruin upon himself. Money simply gives him an opportunity to display his folly. Greed, hedonism, laziness, dishonest gain, you know, those bring poverty. And poverty is a real problem. But at its root, so often behind our poverty is our folly, the sinfulness of our hearts. If you keep giving fools more money, you're just going to further the opportunities for them to bring ruin upon themselves. Oh, what we need is help that goes far deeper than our pocketbooks. So when we take in the wisdom of Proverbs, what this should create in us is just a deep humility about ourselves. Now, if this is true, then we trust ourselves way too much when it comes to money. We don't think that we're going to give way to greed, to, to hedonism, to dishonesty. We, we overestimate our ability to handle whatever money comes our way. But wisdom means knowing the fallenness of our human hearts. Wisdom means cultivating a healthy mistrust of yourself when it comes to your own money. So, so, so don't underestimate your ability to, to not be tempted by the glitter of this world, to not become selfish, to not become greedy. You know, just as a recovering addict would not pl- trust himself around certain people or certain places, I think we should all just view ourselves in the same way, that, that we are all recovering addicts when it comes to money. Um, and so we're going to want to approach our stewardship carefully. And I think particularly what that means is that we're going to want to pursue accountability. Um, is there someone who knows your finances? Right? Is there a spouse, a trusted friend who, who, can, who can talk to you about your finances? Or are your finances uh, such a secret or maybe such a mess, that you can basically spend however you want without anyone asking you any questions. 
know, that, that's the point of making a budget. It's not simply so that you can track your spending. It's, it's, it's to make you accountable for what you spend. If you don't have a budget, if you don't know how to make one, boy, there are so many people here in this congregation who would be glad to help you do that. Uh, Trent Hughes is our deacon of benevolence. Uh, I'd go to him first. But, but really, any of your elders, a, a trusted friend, uh, go to any of them and talk to them about this. You know, Proverbs not only shows the way money, uh, our hearts are corrupted and therefore cause us to mishandle our money, but, but Proverbs also show us how money complicates the world that we live in. You know, it, it complicates our relationships. Right, Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. You know, isn't that so sad? That, that when you're rich, it's hard to know who your real friends are, who you can trust. And if you lose your money, don't be surprised if you lose also some of your friends. Uh, money reveals how, how fleeting and how false human friendships can be. You know, this is the sad world we live in, but it actually gets worse. Uh, Proverbs 13, 23. A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. Or 13, 8. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. You know, in the previous text, people were trying to take your money by being your friend. Here, people are trying to take your money by, by, by coming against you, by taking it from you by force. You know, Proverbs recognizes that not all poverty in this world comes from our own sin. Rather, we live in a world filled with injustice. Uh, There is a poverty that exists because the powerful oppress the weak, the the rich oppress the poor. And yet, the irony here in 13.8 is that the rich are not free from trouble either, right? If you have a lot of money, you're also going to have a lot of enemies. You might find yourself spending your money simply to keep your life. You know, let, me, let me read you from, from uh, an issue of, the, of Portland Monthly magazine. I never knew people could be cruel or jealous or deceitful. Then I won the lottery, says Stacy Lowry, who was working as a gas station cashier in Prineville, Oregon, when she bought the winning ticket. In a lot of ways, I think I lost my innocence. So ebullient was the then 20-year-old over her win that she agreed to allow the Oregon lottery to use her face on billboards. A series of unhappy events followed soon thereafter. She was heckled on the street. Someone broke into and burgled her home in Bend three times. Rumors about how she spent her money spread through town. My least favorite was the one about me dying in a car wreck on my way to Vegas for a spending binge. But the hardest lessons concerned our relationships. I had a lot of friends, I call them bad apples, who took me for cash, Lowry says. There were times I would cry and ask, why do I deserve this? I don't want the lottery anymore if this is what I'm going to have to deal with. I'd rather struggle like everyone else, be like everyone else. You know, let's not be so quick to think that money will solve all our problems. I think particularly the younger you are, the more you need to hear this. If you're a teenager here in this room, money will not solve all your problems. Proverbs reminds us that we live in a fallen world. Because of the sin in people's hearts, there is no way that money will not also bring with it more problems, more trouble in your life. If you're someone who's complained about how tight things are financially, have you ever considered thanking God for the way he has spared you from countless problems that wealth could have brought into your life? Proverbs reminds us that we live in a world where injustice is real. 
that there are people who are unable to make a living because of corruption, because of soaring costs, because of oppressive taxation, who are enslaved and oppressed by the rich. We should be thankful for the relative justice that exists in our land, uh, but we shouldn't ignore the reality of, of injustice in the world around us. Now, part of the reason we, we regularly want to pray for uh, other nations in, in our services, we want to pray against the social injustices that exist around the world and even in our own city, is because it reminds us of this very point that we live in a broken world, that we don't want to place our hope in this world. And we want to pray for God to show mercy to the poor, to bring relief, even as we do what we can to fight the injustice around us. Well, at the end of the day, the problem that, that Proverbs presents is not simply that we can make a mess of our lives and, and lose all our money. No, at the heart of it all, at the heart of our problem you know, in the way we use money is the way we substitute our wealth for God. Proverbs 18 and 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Proverbs 11:28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Now, this is talking about the way we say to money, you are my God. I trust you. You can save me. You can make me happy. We imagine our money to be this, this fortified city around us. But it's not. You know, this is one of the most profound dangers of money. The more money you have, the harder it is for you not to place your trust in it. How many of you think that life would be easier, would be more secure, would be happier, or more fulfilling, or more whatever it is that you want if you just had more money. What that says is that you would rather place your trust in what money can provide for you than, what in, than, than God, rather than God. You know, we all strive for financial independence, but at what point does that become independence from God? Money reveals the idolatry, the false worship of our hearts, of anything but God. And this has... This is our deepest misuse of money. It has nothing to do with, with savings or investments or your bank accounts. No, it has everything to do with your relationship with God. Friends, we are all guilty of this. I know I am. And what is the result of that idolatry? Proverbs 11.4, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 23.5, cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Friends, there is a day of wrath that is coming. Now, all that we've been talking about, injustice, greed, idolatry, false friends, all this evil is storing up wrath for the day when God will appear and will justly pour out his judgment on this world. That the good God who made the universe will hear the cries of the oppressed and he will finally act, punishing every evil deed and restoring this world to the glory that he created it for. And the Proverbs is crystal clear. On that day, all the wealth that we have hoarded will be absolutely worthless. 
our portfolios, our homes, our bank accounts, they're all going to fly away like a bird, leaving us alone with nothing to show for it. John Piper writes this. Picture 269 people entering eternity through a plane crash in the Sea of Japan. Before the crash, there are a noted politician, a millionaire corporate executive, a playboy and his playmate, and a missionary kid on the way back from visiting grandparents. After the crash, they stand before God, utterly stripped of MasterCards, checkbooks, credit lines, image clothes, how-to-succeed books, and Hilton reservations. Here are the politician, the executive, the playboy, and the missionary kid, all on level ground, with nothing, absolutely nothing in their hands, possessing only what they brought in their hearts. If you're not a Christian here this morning, realize that this is what the Bible presents to us as our deepest problem. Not our lack of money or savings. No, rather, the sin in us that has twisted our hearts far away from God and therefore leaves us unable to live in this world as we ought. We were, we were made to be satisfied by God, and yet we have all turned away from Him and have tried to fill our hearts with everything else, only to find that none of it satisfies. What the Bible reveals is that what we need is not simply kind of better money management tips, financial advice. No, what we need is to deal with the folly and sin of our hearts. And this is what Jesus Christ has come to do in the gospel. 2,000 years ago, God entered our broken world, and he demonstrated a life that is totally counter to the corruption of this world. He, he loved the poor. He worked harder than anyone else, and he gave his life generously to those around him. At the end of his life, Jesus Christ offered his life on the cross. The God of the universe offered the richest thing that he could ever offer, namely himself. There on the cross, Jesus Christ took the place of sinners, bearing the judgment that we deserved in our place for our sins. And by his death, he fully paid our debt of sin so that three days later, he rose from the dead to eternal life and glory. And now Jesus Christ reigns as king over the universe, and he calls us to turn away from our idolatry and to reorient our lives to God as we place our trust in what he has done. Now, this is Christianity. In your sin, you are poorer than you could have ever imagined. You are absolutely bankrupt, and you owe God big, and God is about to call your debts to account. And Jesus Christ doesn't just come to you and say, hey, hey, you're okay. Just try a little bit harder. Let me give you a loan. You can pay me back later. No, no. Jesus knows that you're totally bankrupt. He knows that you could never pay him back, and yet he comes and he gives up his life, and he fully wipes your debt of sin against God. And then he forgives you, and he changes you from the inside. He gives you a new heart and a new mind so that you're no longer guided by folly but by wisdom. And he gives you himself. And he does all of this for free. Friends, this is real wealth. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this is what God holds out to you. And it is entirely free. It wasn't free for him, but it is free for you. 
if you will, but place your trust in Jesus Christ. If you're not sure about what this means, if, if you have questions about any of this, come talk to me at the door. Talk to, talk to the Christian friend that brought you. We would love to think through this with you. So if, if this fallen world, if money in this fallen world, world brings so many problems, then, then what does it mean to be rich? Well, Proverbs reveals that also. As those who have turned away from folly, who have discovered a new way to live in Jesus Christ, we now live in the path of wisdom. And that's what we want, we want to think about next. That, that in wisdom, we can truly be rich. All right, so, so if pursuing cash isn't the way to prosperity, and it's not, then what is? Let me, let me read to you some, some, some Proverbs here. Uh, 15, 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or 15, 17. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Oh, that one's tough because I don't like vegetables. Uh, 16.8. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. 16.19. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with, with the proud. There, there are many more like this, but I'll stop there. You know, in a perfect world, we would all be righteous and loving and holy and humble, and we would all be rich. But we don't live in a perfect world, no. In a fallen world, you have to choose. There will be times when you pursue integrity and hard work and righteousness, and you experience great blessing. But in a fallen world, there will, there will always be occasions when you're going to have to choose. Will you fear the Lord or will you be rich? Will you pursue love and go hungry and eat vegetables? Or will you have strife and eat that fattened calf? Will you join the, the oppressed innocent or will you share plunder with the proud? You know, we live in a very pragmatic world. People do whatever it takes to get rich, to get ahead. But in each of these instances, against the, the wisdom of this world, God's wisdom says to us, no, no, fear God. Choose righteousness. And you're probably thinking, well, that's pretty obvious. I guess everybody knows this. You know, I, I think our problem here in, in wealthy America is not that we don't know that this choice exists, you know, out there in the world. Rather, I think that our main problem is that when it comes to our lives, we really don't think that we have to choose. Uh, we think that we can have it both ways. Um, we, we think that we can be respectable, God-fearing Christians, and we can still really enjoy all that this life has to offer. We, we can cross off all those items on our bucket list. We think that we can have good life that money brings and that it won't affect our relationships or our integrity or our walk with God. We think that we don't have to choose. You know, sure, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil, but even better than that is a fear of the Lord and great wealth, right, we think. But that's not how it works. That's not what this is saying. If the reality of sin exists in us and in the world around us, then you're going to have to make a choice. Jesus is so clear on this. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. 
you will have to choose. And, and I'm telling you, you are making that choice every day in your life. Christians are those who have seen that money is not our ultimate pursuit in life. No, our, our ultimate purpose is living according to the glory and goodness of God. Living with a clear conscience before Him. Living according to the truth. Trusting in God and not money. I, I love Agur's prayer there in Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Yeah, that that was his ambition. His ambition in life was to be faithful to God. And therefore, his prayer is that God would give him whatever he needed to do that. Uh, Friends, make this your prayer while you travel through this life as pilgrims and strangers in this passing world. Uh, As wealthy Americans, we particularly need to pray, Oh God, keep me from having too much. You know the greed of my heart. Guard me from trusting in my money more than I trust in you. And in hard times, in lean times, pray also with Agur. Oh God, provide work, provide Food for me. Not so that I won't have to trust you anymore, but in order that I wouldn't be tempted to doubt you, to doubt your goodness and faithfulness to me. What ultimately matters is not money, but the glory of God, the goodness of God displayed in our lives. So starting today, let's stop measuring people according to how much money they have. All right? Um, Let's stop comparing ourselves to one another and taking pride over one another when it comes to our stuff, to our clothes, to our cars, to our bank accounts. You know, our our deceiving culture um, gives us these these ladders to climb. You know, imagine these ladders just just leaning up against the wall back here. Uh, These ladders that really go to nowhere, just kind of up the wall. Um, We spend our lives trying to climb these ladders, right, to get to get more money to get cooler clothes, to get cooler cars, looking down on people who don't have as much as we do. You know, oh, I'm farther up the ladder than you. But we get to the top, and it's just a wall. It's nothing. There's nothing there when you get to the top. No, let's recognize that that these ladders are just worthless and foolish. Let's be a people who, who knock down these ladders. Instead, let's recognize that there is really only one ladder that matters, one ladder that leads to life, to a right relationship with God. How do you know that you're on that ladder, on that ladder that leads to eternal life? Well, as you climb up the ladder of wisdom, this will free you up to be generous with others. I mean, that's how you can know that you're on the right ladder. Uh, the, The mark of wisdom when it comes to money is generosity. Generosity towards others. Proverbs 11.25. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 14.21. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. 14.31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Proverbs 22.2. 
rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, in a perfect world, nobody would have any lack. But in the fallen world, poverty, need, will always exist, always. Have you ever noticed that in the way that God created this world and designed this world, there's sort of a a built-in inequity? Uh, You know, in some lands, God particularly put rich stores of gold and silver. And in other lands, there there are no such stores. Uh, Now, some lands are particularly fruitful and good for crops, but other lands are, are barren. I know one farm receives rain in a season, and another remains dry. Now, Proverbs 22.2 is clear. God is sovereign over both rich and the poor. In God's wisdom, he has not seen it fit to give everyone the exact same thing. Rather, in God's strange wisdom, his purpose is for those who have been given much to learn to share with those who have been given little, and thus for all to be provided for. You know, in this way, as those who have been made in God's image, we are to learn to be in relationship with one another and to reflect our Maker's generosity and kindness and mercy. But sin has entered the world, hasn't it? And in a fallen world, inequity, instead of resulting in sharing, and generosity. Instead, it results in oppression and poverty. As one theologian says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, but the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Well, we are those who have been transformed by God's grace, and therefore we begin to live as God made us to live, to reflect God's generosity in our own lives. And this is about much more than just giving a handout to the guy on the street. No, so often that's the easy thing to do. No, actually the generosity that God calls us to is to show kindness to the needy. Where where generosity becomes a part of your lifestyle. Often this will mean helping financially, but often it will mean so much more. It will mean inviting the needy into your life, being a friend to them, and commending the gospel to them by your acts of kindness. As we saw earlier, sometimes what the poor and the needy need are just a a true friend. You know, in our modern age of of news and television, it's really easy for us to be overwhelmed by the poverty that exists in our world. Uh, You don't even know where to begin in in, in kind of helping the poor around you. Let me encourage you to begin by prioritizing those needs that are closest to you, right? Who, Who are the needy in your immediate family, in your extended family, who you should be caring for? Okay, let's go out one circle further. Who are the needy in your local church that you should be caring for? And then beyond that, who are the needy in your neighborhood, in your community that you know who could use your help? Who are the needy in your city? And finally, might you have the resources to even be a blessing to the needy around the world? I think one of the ways that we demonstrate our generosity to the poor is by supporting the ministry of this church. Uh, If a heart change is fundamentally what is needed to be rescued from our poverty, then the gospel ministry of this local church and other local churches around us is the most important mercy ministry in our city. 
You know, because it's in the local church that the gospel is proclaimed and displayed. You know, this city is going to support 100 soup kitchens and homeless shelters. And people will enter into an eternity well-fed and lost. But the gospel ministry of this church depends on this congregation. And as we support this work, we present the only source of life to the dying world. So, so in our families, in our church, in our city, God in his wisdom has distributed wealth unevenly. This is part of God's design. And many of us here happen to be among those who have received more than others. Why? What, what is God up to? What is God doing in you and in us? How will you take advantage of, of this inequality in order to know the joy of demonstrating kindness to others. You know, I love the perspective that Proverbs gives us that that when we show kindness to those who can never pay us back, we are actually showing kindness to God. If you find generosity hard in your heart, that's often because you're only looking at the worthiness of the recipient. Well, if you only give to people who deserve your help, who you think deserve your help, or who you think can pay you back, then you're never going to be as generous as God calls you to. Now, now if that's you, then grow in your generosity by seeing the God who is the maker and defender of the poor. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. You know, if that's true, then, then our generosity is the best investment that we could make with our money. This is the way of wisdom when it comes to our money. Loving, trusting, honoring God more than our stuff. Right? Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And as we do so, we discover the path to true blessing. Proverbs 16.20, whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. 22.4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. This was God's design from the beginning. A right relationship with God leading to true life and true prosperity. You know, seek one's prosperity apart from God. But we recognize that 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 is no true blessing. No true life can be found apart from God. That's not to say that we pursue God in order to get rich. No, no, God is the greatest riches that we pursue. We want God for God. God himself is our greatest treasure. That's what these Proverbs show. You know, not someone who's trying to use God to get rich. No, but, but wisdom awakens us to a God who is good, a God who is not stingy, a God who is full of mercy and kindness, a God who loves us. And God offers us himself. Friends, to know God, to be in a right relationship with him, is to be rich. And when you have this God, You have every good thing along with him. You know, this is the shocking good news of the Bible. Not merely that we beggars can become rich. No, but that we beggars can gain the one who makes all the wealth and riches of this world. You know, that God can be our God for our everlasting joy and happiness. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. And he adds, no trouble to it. 
Don't you want that? No matter how rich you get in this life, trouble and sin will always follow your riches. But can you imagine possessing a kind of wealth that would never bring any trouble with it? You know, that, that this kind of wealth that would never bring any trouble from your own heart, that, that no temptation to greed or gluttony or addictions would come with it, a wealth that, that didn't make you more selfish and more fearful, but instead makes you free and as generous as you long to be. Can you imagine a wealth that rather than making you lazy, instead inspires you to work hard and to be productive and use all the talents that God has given you? Can you imagine this, this wealth that is totally free from trouble from the outside? Rather than producing false friends, this wealth produces the truest and best friends and provides a new family that can never be taken away. Instead of creating strife, this wealth only brings blessing to everyone around you. No enemy, no regime, no robber could ever take it from you. And it is a wealth that will never leave you, a wealth that will never fly away, but remains with you through all the ups and downs of this life, through death and into eternity, rising to fullness, perfectly satisfying you, increasing your joy, reflecting God's glory forever and ever. Well, friends, do you want to be rich like this? Would it be worth giving up the the wealth of this world in order to gain that wealth? The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Friend, this will find its ultimate fulfillment when Jesus returns and makes all things new. But you can begin to know this wealth today. Even today, you can enter into a right relationship with God through his son. As the missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, don't settle for the fleeting gains of this world. They will only bring you trouble. They will not last. You've been investing your whole life in a sinking ship, in a burning house. But it's not too late to get out of that. It's not too late to begin investing in something new. Give up what you could never keep and gain what can never be lost. Let's pray. And before I lead us in prayer, take a moment to reflect on what you've heard and to, and to ask God to be conformed more to wisdom than to this world. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that our love of stuff has a tight grip on our hearts. But Father, we praise you that you call us not simply just to love being poor. No, rather, you call us to love you. You give us yourself. So God, for for all of us who are struggling with finding ourselves trusting in our possessions, oh Lord, would you open our eyes to who you are, to the much better riches that you offer us through knowing you. Oh, Father, in Christ, would you 
Help us to see your love. Help us to see your, your mercy towards idolatrous sinners such as us. Lord, help us to find forgiveness. And Lord, help us then to, li- to lead lives that have been transformed by your generosity towards us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.